0: hi uh welcome to the brooks online gathering my name is muchu cable i'm one of the pastors here at our church uh, i'm super honored that you would join us in this way in this moment uh, considering the season that we're all in, in some shape, form, or fashion. If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. Uh, Meet me in 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5 is where we're going to be. It's towards the end of your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you use the app, do that. Um, If you have neither, don't worry, the words are going to be on uh, the screen, and that's okay as well. We're actually in in a series of messages that are some reflections that I've been having through my personal devotion time with the Lord over the last year or so that have got crystallized uh, while I was away on a sabbatical. Week one, we looked at the reality of seasons and how um, some we choose and some choose us. But either way, we are to bring the weight of eternity to bear on the seasons that we find ourselves Uh, Last week, we actually had a special dialogue around the necessity of truth and how we come to understand something to be true and then apply it in a way that's beautiful, life-giving, and ultimately brings about the most possible good for the glory of God. Uh, This week, we're looking at an idea and this issue of joy. Now, uh, (laughs) honestly, there's some things in life that are easier to describe than they are to define Uh, and i think i think that's okay i think that's okay i don't think that's a cop-out i think that exists because there's just some things where we're not necessarily meant to kind of wrap our minds around them fully comprehend them completely but we could still experience them deeply and truly authentically i think love is like that and i think uh, joy is one of those things as well that doesn't mean that you don't try and get a definition it just means that, man, they're just easier to describe. Nevertheless, here's my attempt through searching the scriptures, through life, to give us a definition of joy that's gonna shape the idea I want us to walk away with. And that definition is this, that joy is this deep experience of gladness, not rooted in circumstances. Joy is a deep experience of gladness, not rooted in circumstances. Now that doesn't make it arbitrary like it doesn't just come out of nowhere i mean it's attached to something but what it's attached to is not circumstances and we kind of know that we know deep experiences of gladness that are attached to circumstances the word for that is happiness and we know that happiness kind of comes and goes based on the circumstances that we find ourselves in but we know that there's something beyond it Joy. That's basic humanity. That's humanity 101 that everybody everywhere at some time has some experiences of joy. Now, the Christian story stares those deep experiences right in the face and says we don't have to diminish or devalue every single one of them or even dismiss them as if they don't exist or they aren't true but what we do is we see them and we see them as springboards into an even more excellent and greater experience that's rooted in Jesus because what Jesus does is he offers deeper experiences of joy promises of pleasure without the aftertaste of pain and or Shame. So like growing up, I used to love CC's pizza. All you could eat for only 2 dollars And I went to CC's. I had 51 slices of pizza before I got kicked out. And in the moment, it was great. <laughs> I mean, I was like, yo, bring me some more of that pepperoni. And this was before I knew that I was lactose intolerant. Uh, being a child was great. But then after the moment, <laughs> we know how that story ends, right? And what Jesus says, what the Christian says is, yeah, man, there's there's these moments of pleasure. They're good. They're they're not entirely bad, but we know what happens next. And what Jesus says is there's a there's an even more excellent experience that's not rooted in anything other than me and how excellent I am. And honestly, the greatest threat to joy will forever be settling for lesser versions of it. But I don't think that's the only threat. It's the greatest, but it's not the only. In fact, I would say in our moment in time, what I have seen is that there is this threat that creeps up and it's called disillusionment. Like disillusionment, it brings the worst out of our hearts and it makes the best of us bitter. You know, like when, when disillusionment seizes your heart, it's almost like that reaction when you try turkey bacon for the first time. You're like, oh, what is this? It's just, it creates this disdain for life. And I've just seen a, a disillusionment run rampant just uprooting joy for so many people, especially Christians. And honestly, professionally, personally, collectively at the as a church like i am on a mission to uproot disillusionment before it uproots experiences of great joy but it's not uprooting it by denying what's broken around us it's it's not uprooting it by turning a blind eye to what's broken around us or even broken inside of us it's uprooting it by turning our eyes to the hills from where our help Come Psalm one twenty one. It's uprooting it by seeing Jesus's allegations and and like invitations regarding joy as serious, right? And so his allegation is that there's a real adversary, there's a real enemy that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And in contrast, it's stealing, killing, and destroying the life that he invites us to partake in, which is one that he says is fullness with a greater experience of joy. It's it's an invitation into something that is rich in the present, but is absolutely progressive. And so you get that in Matthew 25, where he gives us this parable, Then, after giving us this parable, he ends it by saying that, that the, the master says to the servant, well done, good and faithful servant. Now enter into the joy of your master. Come share this increasing experience with Me, it's by taking serious the commands to rejoice. It's by seeing in a very real sense, this idea that joy is resistance. Joy is resistance to continuously, consciously choose joy. It's to push back on that which pushes against us. And Jesus says, do that. Choose joy. Joy is resistance. That's the idea that my mind has been like orienting, orbiting around for the last year, but it's crystallized, especially in the last few months. Now I'm gonna build to that through first Thessalonians emperor. Particular, but as we build through that, it'll be really just looking at this, this statement that we see towards the end of chapter five. Uh, it, it, it almost looks like a summary statement, but we'll, we'll see this summary statement and some of the implications thereof. And then really we'll just spend the rest of the time just like unfolding what I think are some beautiful and frustrating layers regarding the anatomy of joy and rejoicing that help us to see that it really is a type of resistance, necessary, beautiful resistance. So that'd be the flow of our time. We'll we'll look at the statement, the summarizing statement, if you will, and then we'll unfold some of the beautiful and frustrating uh, layers that the text gives us in hopes that we will walk away with a perspective that this isn't just something To consider choosing joy, it's something that's absolutely necessary, especially when we don't feel it. Because when we don't feel it, it's actually when we most need it. So, uh, first, that's read with me. Um, It's short to the point, and then we'll uh, take it bit by bit. Um, Verse 16, it starts off like this. Rejoice always. (laughs) Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. First Thessalonians five sixteen through um, eighteen. 1 Thessalonians is a is a very rich book. It's it's written to this multi ethnic, diverse people whose existence as a church was birthed through tremendous trials and tribulations so act 17 talks about the birth of this church where where Paul comes bringing the weight of the story of God, the gospel, the announcement of good news, that relationship with God is possible, that the barriers that stand in the way have been removed by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and those barriers haven't just been removed arbitrarily, they've been removed so that we could connect in a more excellent, deeper way with God in the here and now in a way that leads to the then and there. So he brings the weight of that story to bear on people's souls. And what happens is social upheaval. And so there is trial, there's conflict. Yet in the midst of that, this people was born and created. This church was Planted akin to the church that will be planted in New Orleans with Brian Ashley and the team akin to the church That will be planted in coconut grove where Carlos Cassie and the team. It's this miraculous birth of the people of God together. This is Thessalonians and where we have is really the the closing instructions like we're in verse 12 All the way down to about 20, you just get these glorious descriptions of this identity. Paul wants them to embody as a people of God. But also these activities, Paul calls them to pursue as a people of God. And then you get verse 18. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, you could attach that to Just the immediate verses that we read, verses 16 through 18. Or you could attach it to the entirety of the descriptions that they're called to embody and the actions that they're called to pursue. I think it's more appropriate to attach it to all of it, the descriptions and the actions, because really it stands apart Like everything that he's saying in this chunk of text, this closing text, they're they're calls to actions. Whereas verse 18 really is to call our attention to something, the will of God. Now, now here's why that's beautiful. He's clearly laying out all of these things and he's saying, hey, don't miss this. This is the will of God for you. To experience all of this, to pursue all of this, this is the will of God for you. That matters because the will of God is both mysterious and plain. So Deuteronomy 29, 29 says that the secret things belong to the Lord, but those things that he's revealed belong to his people forever, that they may do everything within the law or everything that's been revealed. So there's a mysterious aspect to the will of God that we know. But there's also a plain aspect where he just reveals what should be done, how things should function and operate. Case in point, what we just read. Now that pushes against us because we have this tendency to play roulette like with the will of God. Like so, like I used to love like like game shows, and one of them was Wheel of Fortune. And you just spin the wheel, and you see where it lands. And that's kind of how we operate with the will of God. We just gotta kind of spin this, and then we'll just see what God says. But there is a plain understanding God intends for us to have regarding His will. The will of God for you isn't something that you have to spend this inordinate amount of time discovering, as much as wrestling with. doing but honestly we want options and God's like well I want obedience here's my will now for the purpose of this joy idea that means rejoicing always pursuing this deep experience of gladness is part of the will of God for your life it means that it's not suggestive in nature not something that you consider but it's something that you carry out the will of god now it keeps on going because that, that makes it really beautiful that god gives us permission to pursue joy that's part of the beautiful layer of it but, there, but there's more to it so in paul's writings each one has this unique tone as you start to read the tone of thessalonians is very warm it's almost like a fireside chat with a uncle or grandpa, with a auntie or grandma. Hey, auntie, it's like a fireside chat where they're just pouring out wisdom in a hyper relational way. So, what you notice when you read Thessalonians is there's no overt rebukes. Not like you get in First Corinthians with all of this arrogance running rapid. No, you don't get that. You get this continue in. So yes, even in Thessalonians, they raise questions. That's chapter five. They have these concerns about how do we have brotherly love? They have these concerns regarding the return of Christ. Did we miss it? And even in Paul's response to their concerns, he's like, man, you already know what it is. Continue in what you already know. Here's why I think that sets up a beautiful layer for us to understand when we get to rejoice always, we shouldn't read that primarily as Paul trying to correct this depressed people, trying to challenge them because they're in a quote-unquote depressed state, which is often how we use that phrase rejoice always. Rather, it can and should be read continue in. Now, Now here's, why I want to say that. We have a weird codependence with sadness right now. It's almost like we attach shame to people who have experiences of goodness. And I just want to say, man, if things are good for you right now, like if there's this deep experience of gladness and joy for you right now, you shouldn't feel guilty for that. Nor should you look over your shoulder in fear, wondering when the terrible is going to take over. Rather, continue in, grow in it, pursue it. It's part of the will of God, but the layers continue. So, all of these, like I said, are descriptions of an identity that they're called to embody or their actions that they're called to take so there's they're interdependent so while they could stand a, like apart so you could emphasize some of them they don't stand alone he is talking to the people of god and what you see as a thread through all of these descriptions and all of these actions is profound humility so think about this so so even earlier in verse 13 he says live at peace with everyone then it goes down to, to say that, that we should bear with everybody, like encourage the weak and the faint-hearted, be patient with them. All of which implies humility. Now, there's an aspect of humility that I think is necessary in understanding this text, and especially in our moment of time. And that aspect is the decentering of oneself. For the sake of someone else. So even when we see those statements like be at peace with everyone, with the brothers, that, that means that in the midst of conflict, in the midst of disagreement, what we do is we start to de-center ourselves and our rights and we center what is right which is the need for harmony authentic harmony harmony and peace that comes from not necessarily the absence of disagreement but the pursuit of love and truth so even when we see patience be patient with everyone. That means to decenter ourselves from the relationship as it relates to pace. Trying to make everybody come at our speed. But to say, I will extend to you time. In the same way God extends to us. When there's brokenness and sin. That he waits us out as he pursues. It's Humility. This attitude of humility that lends itself towards decentering is core to joy like, and we know this because you know and I know that we have seen very few people if at all who are prideful who have experiences of sustained joy that is rare that's like a unicorn it. The, doesn't exist. Because the prideful person overestimates their significance. They overlook others and they underestimate the kindness and grace of God at work in their lives and the life of others. Now, some of us are like, I don't feel like I'm a prideful person. Cool beans. But we've all had prideful moments. We've all had it. It may not define your life, but it's described how you've acted before. And when pride is taking up residence in our hearts in a way that rules us, what you know and I know is that jealousy and entitlement always rear their ugly head. Which means that when pride is present, we are at the mercy of circumstances and others as it relates to our joy. <laughs> when you're a prideful person, when pride is present in your life, joy will always be at the mercy of circumstances and others, which means that you're a bad day away from the pit of despair. Humility oozes all throughout this passage and it seeps into how we should see joy. Furthermore, it seeps in that allows us to see rejoice always as something better than a bright side mentality, but it's to root our joy in the goodness of God, humbly acknowledging his will for us. The layers continue, man. So like The audience matters. This is written to the people of God, collectively. So it's not Paul, hey man, Dionysus in Thessalonica, let me write this letter to you. It's to the people of God. Let me explain like this. Raise your hand wherever you are. You could be at Publix right now, you got your AirPods in, you could be at your house, raise your hand, it may be weird, but raise your hand if you liked group projects. No? 80, 90% of the people who raised their head were probably that slacker in the group, the procrastinator who saw the group project as a easy ride towards completion of a grade. It's like, you know, I, I wasn't. Group projects, they do something to my soul. And they do something in the soul of most people, because we know, by and large, (laughs) that the success of a group project, it really isn't just tied to the work that you're called to complete. It's tied to the people that you're called to complete it with. Case in point, look at where we are, our country. (laughs) Like, we have turned a public health crisis into a political one. And so we're all failing at this bad boy. All of us in our own echo chambers of agreement. The ultimate group project and we're failing. Because it's not tied just to the work that you're trying to accomplish. It's tied to the people that you're trying to accomplish it with. It's tied to the group. It's tied to community. Listen, the pursuit of joy is a group project. This is Rejoice Always, is written not just individualistically, but collectively. The pursuit of joy is a group project. That we need people to propel us further into excellent experiences of deep gladness. That we need people to protect us from lesser experiences that parade as true joy. We need people to serve as a diagnostic of our hearts to see if there's something that's hindering our ability to rejoice. Furthermore, we need people to show us the truth about ourselves, specifically in our ability or inability, to celebrate what's good in others, i.e. not just rejoicing for us, but rejoicing with you and others. Not withholding a round of applause, but diving in. In fact, our inability to rejoice or celebrate what others says more about us than anything else. And it flies in the face of what it means to be a Christian littered with communal implications that it's it's a group project to pursue greater joy but (laughs) it's not just a group project in its pursuit it actually also means that there's a different pathway of excellent joy so in context in first thessalonians 2 Paul is going to write that you, Thessalonians, you that I labored for, you that I refused to take a paycheck for, you that I spent. Now, Geo, Priest on this. You, Thessalonians, you are my crown, my glory, my joy. It is stunning. It is absolutely stunning the way that the scriptures speak about experiences of joy not being attached primarily to our own well-being, but being attached to ensuring somebody else's well-being. So this is also Paul talking in Philippians chapter two where he says, yo, make my joy complete. Complete this deep experience of gladness in me by embodying something among you. Unity of spirit, humility. This is also John in 1 John that he says in 1 John 1 through 4, man, that which we've seen, that which we interacted with, Jesus, we were up close and personal. We touched him. He wasn't some ghost. We we had real relationship with him. We experienced the invitation of fullness of life, of greater joy. That which we've heard, seen, tasted, felt, and know we commit to you. We write to you these things that our joy would be complete. We want you to have relationship with him and us. And when that takes place, we have fuller joy. It is astounding that we are called to attach our pursuit of joy, not just into the experiences that we like, but really into the well-being of others. That's a huge part of why joy is resistance, by the way, because that is an act of defiance when everything around us says you will be most happy when you put yourself at top, you put yourself at the pinnacle of your pursuits, and then you'll find utmost pleasure. Christianity comes and reverses all of that and says you will experience this greater, deep, more rich, and satisfying possession of joy when you're pursuing the well-being of others The pursuit of joy is a group project and it grows as we pursue others' well-beings. Joy is resistance. Now, that idea of joy is resistance, there's more that we see in this text that adds to it. So, it's seen in the nuances of that phrase, rejoice always, right? So in Miami, there's so many different languages that collide so many different cultures. And we know that there's nuances within languages that don't naturally translate to English. Well, that's the same for the scriptures that the scriptures were written in Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic and while in English or wherever language you read them in, you could still get the fullness of God's message and God's will for us. There are moments where we go back to the original language and something just pops differently. Here's one of those moments. And so rejoice always is a present tense imperative verb in the Greek. So what that means is it's an imperative. It's not a suggestion. It really actually is a command. Now now let me make that pop a little bit. I feel like verses 15 16, 17, and 18. This is like the soil of all Christian cliches. Have you ever got like, have you ever got like that Christian chain letter where it's like, yo, it's for this, like 10 people. If you don't, you'll be cursed forever. Don't scroll past this without leaving a heart emoji or saying amen. Like a lot of those things come from here. Choose joy always. Pray without. Sin- and it's like, okay. And so they, they lose their weight to it. And it almost even, it feels like well wishing. Like you just attach it to the end of something bad. But because it's an imperative, it means that it's not, yo, I get to this eventually as a response to something. It means that I begin with this intentionally as a guide. Put it on the front end, not the back end. Choose joy, rejoice always. It's an imperative. We pursue it. Take this posture of proactive pursuit but the present tense aspect of of Greek verbs means that they're not actions that are completed. They're actions that are continuous or reoccurring. So, in other words, it's not like you go accomplish it and you're good. This isn't something that you complete. This is something that you continue to chase after. That's rich. Because what that does is it really roots it beyond time and circumstances. It roots this action, this call to action beyond time and circumstances and says, you keep pursuing joy always. The fact that it takes that statement from conditional pursuit, that it takes it from circumstantial dynamics, Furthermore, it makes it not just the the goal or the standard of the more mature, but it makes it the improved experience of everybody is beautiful and helps us to see that it's absolutely resistant because. We know that there are regular circumstances and situations that shouldn't produce that type of gladness. Yet, to have that deep experience of gladness, that joy, is to resist said circumstances. We know that naturally. Listen, think about the beauty and joy. Think about those who. Who stared at the face of white supremacy and said, "You won't strip the smile from my soul, even if you try and strip the smile from my face." There's something greater that's anchoring me, John Lewis, <laughs> and all the freedom fighters. But you have know, to just look at Black Joy. Just survey history, the history of marginalized and oppressed people. People who've said, listen, you can strip us of our property. You can strip us of our jobs and economic advancement. But with defiant strength, there's something in our soul that can't be stripped Away this deep gladness that anchors and resists. And you don't have to be part of a marginalized ethnicity or geography, a place, a people, to experience that. If you're Christian, this is your spiritual heritage that the scriptures go through great pains and lengths to paint the people of God as this nomadic, marginalized group. This is First Peter. Where First Peter, Peter looking at these people scattered all across the world, experiencing tremendous suffering and pain, Paints the first part of that chapter and he says, even in the midst of such suffering, you have this love for God and you're able to experience this joy that's really inexpressible. You can't fully put words to it, but you know that it's there. This is a Christian heritage. This is a Christian story to resist because we're rooted in something beautiful. That joy reaches beyond the moment. And for the Christian, we have a more excellent experience. That we don't just reach beyond the moment. But we reach to a person who we see is actually pulling us forward. Because he's shared in our experiences. And he now has become both the model and Champion Hebrews 12, surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us cast off every weight and sin that clings closely and so easily entangles, and let us fix our eyes on Jesus, looking to Him, the author and perfecter of our faith. We run this race with endurance because He endured for joy, he endured the cross for joy, the joy set before him, which is to experience relationship with us, it's to please his father and get that well done son, well pleased son, endurance reaching beyond, somebody who reaches and pulls us forward. It shows us that by being resistance it is also rooted in faith, faith, being the determination to act in light of who God is and what God says. So in this season, resist. Resist that which wars against us. I know that there's almost this low-grade depression that is hovering over so many of us. Resist. Not by the strength of your hands, but by the power of hope in God. Reaching beyond the moment and grabbing on to the one who holds and grabs his children. Resist resist not by arrogant words but humble defiance defiance rooted in joy would you pray with me to end god man i'm talking to myself (laughs) i am talking to myself but god i thank you that you have renewed a determination to not settle for less, but to anchor, attach by hope to you, to pursue with expectancy. Gotta pray the same for our people, for those who are engaging with your body in this moment in time, in this way. Would you root in us a rich experience of joy and uproot from us sabotaging experiences, disillusionment brings. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.